We're really believing this morning at Selwyn too, as Julia shares part two of our series on loving people will really impact lives out there. Now we're really excited by what God is doing in Selwyn. Really excited by what God's doing here too, but just the sense of new people arriving. And you know, last week was week three and some new families signed up and to serve and be on team and they're a part of the family out there, which is pretty awesome. Pretty excited. Well, I get excited by that, which is cool. This morning is part three here though, however, of our series and our mission statement on knowing God, loving people and changing lives. So far, we've clearly looked at the first two. And the first two is really God's biblical pattern, which is to know God. And when I know God, I move into a place of loving people. It's the pattern of God. It's how God has established his church. Our first place is always to know God. That's the first place we live our lives from, knowing God. When I know God, I know God's heart for people. When I know God, I understand mercy. When I know God, I understand forgiveness. When I know God, I know his heart for the world is for every person to be in relationship with God. So knowing God is biblical pattern. It's place number one. But out of that flows my love for others, which is the second part of our mission statement. When I truly know God, it's got to manifest itself and come out of my life in an action that is loving people. When I love people is how I can reflect on how well I know God. Because God's heart is that every person on planet earth would know that they're loved by him. And it's the role of the church to know God in such a way that wherever we go during the week, it's the crazy plan of God that he would scatter us during the week. We would know what it is to love on people. And loving people has an impact on them. Loving in a way that is selfless and sacrificial has an impact on people's lives and in their hearts. People, what, you have no reason to love me the way you do. You have no reason to serve me the way you do. You're, I'm your bo- you're my boss, and yet you treat me with such respect and such love. They, they are impacted by the kind of love that comes out of a relationship with God. The biblical pattern is know God, love people. And then out of that, we see lives that get changed. I love biblical pattern. I love how God sets it up for us. He hasn't left it to chance. The only way my life is going to be fruitful and have an impact is in how deeply I get to know God. That's how it is. When I know God, I know his heart. So I can't get past the biblical pattern. I can't skip point one and move to point two. I can't just decide, well, I'll love people. Do you know the sad thing is, though, if we're not careful, we move from knowing God into loving people, and loving people becomes the whole sum total of what my life becomes all about, and somehow I drift away from that first connection and remembering to love God. The way I love people must come from my relationship with God. He's the first And only, he's the place it all begins. In fact, the Bible says, if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. The point is that we're meant to search for God with all our heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not part of your heart, not a little bit of your time, when you seek me with all your heart. That was the promise, what I was trying to get across to you this morning in closing worship and that exhortation is when we seek God, the promise is we will find him. And in moments like worship like that, if I can put aside every other distraction, what people will think about me worshiping God, how I look, what I've come in with, what my week's been like, if I can somehow move beyond that to a place where I'm just searching for God with all my heart, the promise is that I'll find him. That's why we want dynamic praise and worship. We want it to be the kind of worship that leads you out of where you've been into a place where you can connect with God. Jesus, we know, said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about that a lot, but that's the biblical pattern, God first. And out of the overflow of my relationship with God, I love people the way God would have me love them. That's more about God's 
pattern. That's how God has set it up. And then God has put us into community to live together, to help each other, to sharpen one another. I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a, in a minute because I think church and community is really, really important. And when I get to that point, boy, am I going to get fired up. But today's message is part three. It's about changing lives. It, it brings us right back to the mission. Point three, the mission. It's all mission, but it's the mission. Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here's the promise, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Changing lives brings us back to the mission of God. I felt God spoke to me, or speak to me. He didn't spoke to me. I felt him speak to me about this very thing a couple of weeks ago. And here's the line I felt God put in my heart. You're not a church that does missions. You're a church on mission. Because if you're a church that does missions, that speaks of a program. Or it speaks of something I do with a little bit of my time. Like I join the missions program and I do missions when I'm in the missions program. Or, or I go overseas to global missions. That's when I'm truly doing mission. And I felt God say, Carl, move your heart away from a church that does missions to a church who's on mission. Because it speaks of my whole life as missional. My whole life was destined to be about seeing other lives impacted and lives changed. So we're not a church that does mission. We're a church who's on mission. And I pray that gets in your heart. And if you don't like it, you're more than likely you're going to leave at some point because we're not going to compromise on the mission of God. We're going to love God's people. We're going to love you with all our hearts. We're absolutely going to do that. We're going to care for you in the journey. But we will not compromise on the mission that God mandated the church with when he left us with Matthew 28. We're not going to just do mission. We are on mission. That's every single one of us. And that's the heart I hope you catch. And that's why Selwyn is so good. Because we're continuing to model being a church that is conscious of the mission. If it was just about getting together on Sunday, and it was just about looking after everyone we've already got, we would never have planted that campus. We planted that campus because we wanted to model to the church that we're on mission. That's what it's about. Reach more people. Go for everything God's got for us as a church. I was praying, and I often spend time in the front here praying before Sundays, often on a Saturday afternoon when there's no event on. And I walk up and down this aisle, and I often say to God, God, I, I want to see every single chair in this place filled. And I don't get it. Why are you not filling up the building? Why is it not filling up multiple times over? Because we are a great church, and we're a church that's missional, and we're a church that cares about your heart and God, why won't you fill the church multiple times? I know I'm the only one that cares about this. But I just say, God, come on, what are you doing? And as I was contemplating, God said many things back to me out of those times, because I've got it wrong. But I felt God speak to me really clearly this last couple of weeks that, Cal, you're looking at the seating capacity. You're crying out to me for the seating capacity to be larger. But I'm looking for ascending capacity. I'm looking for the number of people who are willing to be positioned and sent on mission. The number that impresses God's heart is when the church is sent and on mission. It's the sending capacity. Does the seeding capacity matter? Yes, because it speaks of new life and growth and the church is in a good place. So God is interested in the seeding capacity, but he's more interested in the sending capacity. And that was a challenge for me as the senior leader because it was like, well, God, I've got to change the way I pray because I want church of thousands of people, but I want them to be all people who are willing to be sent, who are missional who understand the heart of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A church on mission is determined to be a part of seeing lives 
changed. Now, life change is a constant journey for us all. We never stop having our lives impacted, do we? Challenged and changed. Are we all a work in progress? I am, big time. Some of the change we experience when we first give our lives to Jesus is fast. We can almost seem to break through with real ease and not much effort in some of the areas of our life. But in reality, when you've been a Christian for a long while, it's a painful process of transformation that God journeys with us in. It doesn't just happen like that. I wish prayer in some areas of my life would have just dealt with the stuff that had gone horribly wrong. It's prayer and process, don't get me wrong, but you cannot usurp God's process because God is a God who is willing to process with us. I heard a quote that kind of sums it up for me, and I love it. You cannot pray your way out of something you behaved your way into. Have a think about that. It's prayer and process. Like we had a set of behaviors and a set of mindsets that we've had for years. We've behaved our ways into some of the things we find ourselves in, and we'd love a prayer just to fix it. Prayer is really important. I'm not belittling prayer. Prayer is powerful, and God can do a miracle, and we believe for that, but God is willing to help you to process change because you've got wrong mindsets and wrong attitudes and a wrong heart towards some things, and unforgiveness just can't be prayed away. There's a process that God will take us through to bring us to a point of change. I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone that can amen that, but that's certainly my understanding of how it works with God. It takes a process of change. Patterns of behaviors that God needs to walk us through. So we have the understanding of how we got to where we got so we don't get there again. Because if God just did a transformational work on some of the things, some of my mindsets, if he just prayed and it went away, my behaviors could lead me right back to the place where I was before. And I've got to have understanding and revelation and truth about why I was the way I was before. It's true in marriage. It's true in relationships. It's true in all the kinds of mess that we get ourselves into. God is a God who will teach us the patterns of our behavior so we don't end up right back where we started. Our transformation journey and process begins at the cross. We all know that. It, it starts when we recognize Jesus is the Savior, and eternity becomes wakened in our hearts. All of a sudden, I had no hope for the end of my life, but thanks to Jesus, I now have an eternal hope. I have a, a revelation that there is a place beyond earth where I'll spend eternity with God. He set it up that way and it comes alive in our hearts the moment we surrender our lives to jesus the awakening of eternity begins to happen in my heart hope true biblical hope begins to rest in my life and all of a sudden things are different that's why i can say at my salvation point life was never the same the same bad habits the same bad patterns the same everything but everything else was different why because i had a hope beyond the mess that god loved me and he had a place set aside for me I want us to look again this morning at our passage in Colossians that we've used really as the passage for the series. And it was David that came across it in the NLT. And I've been sitting in this passage for quite a while, so not sitting in it, but reading it. You know what I'm saying. I want to give you a little context to what culture Paul writes this letter into. See, Paul writes this letter after he receives disturbing news from Epaphras regarding the rise of heretical, heretical teaching in Colossae. Yet the hope the church has and the faith that they're showing in the midst of it is impressive to Paul, and he's pleased with the church, the Colossian church. Epaphras was a fellow laborer with Paul, a fellow worker, someone that had been teaching the Colossian church the grace of God and his truth. But this heresy had begun. It professed to be a philosophy. Paul called it a hollow and deceptive philosophy. It had become a ritualistic religious activity. 
The philosophy was affirming that there were various supernatural powers in the creation of the world and the process of salvation. The false teaching insisted that these mysterious powers be affirmed by people's worship. Oh, how the deceptive one wants to get your worship. Oh, how he wants you to find something else to take your attention, even if it's just subtle. He wants you worshiping everything other than Jesus Christ. And he's still at work in deceiving people today. A variation of the truth, but not the real truth. A subtle change here that isn't lined with God's word that I can find I'm living out. The devil wants your worship. He just doesn't want you worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, their Gnostic view was that all matter was evil, matter being physical substance. So Jesus, in their eyes, could never really be man in flesh because to be flesh is to be evil. So Jesus was simply an emanation, not truly flesh. This also does away with creation because anything of substance is evil. Therefore, God could not create the world as we know it. So Paul receives this news from Epaphras. And you can imagine Paul's response. The man who preached Christ and Christ crucified. Not an emanation. Christ. God came in flesh and died on a cross. You can imagine for Paul, the apostle, and there's arguments that he might have been in prison at Rome, a prisoner in Rome at the time. But he gets fired up. This is not the Jesus I spoke about. He's not an emanation. He is the Lord. He came in flesh. He died a brutal death upon the cross that we could have salvation. And so he begins to pen this letter. And we read it in Colossians 1, 3 to 10. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. He realigns their truth. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. They're going to need that. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you'll grow as you learn to know God better and better. The heart of the Apostle Paul is to see God's people stay on track and hold steadfast to the truth they have received. Stay true to the gospel that Epaphras has shared with you, that which you know to be true, that's given you a revelation of heaven and given you hope in your heart. Stay true to the gospel that we've preached you. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he was crucified upon the cross. Stay steadfast in your understanding. His petition to heaven was that God would give them complete knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's still true for us today. It's no different today. He could write this today. There are many philosophies that set themselves up and establish themselves as variations of the truth. Ideas driven to bring believers to a place of compromise on their beliefs and on their convictions. And that same encouragement holds steadfast is given to us today. Hold steadfast to the gospel that you know to be true. Hold on to the hope you have, Life Church, in eternity, the place reserved for you 
in heaven. There are many things, ideologies and philosophies that will set themselves up in compromise to the truth. Variations of the truth. Things that the church should now say, well, we have to accept that because everybody told us to. No, no. The, Paul the Apostle would say, hold steadfast to the truth that you know to be true. And he keeps the main thing, the main thing. See, Paul didn't get into a variation of a sub-gospel. He stayed true to Jesus Christ. Hold on to what you know the main thing is. Don't lose your attention to something else. Don't let the philosophies of the world, the compromise of the world, leak into your understanding of who God is. So the prayer is, give us spiritual understanding and wisdom. Life Church, that's our prayer. God, give the leadership of this church spiritual wisdom and understanding. Help us to know the truth. Lord, give our people understanding and wisdom in a time that we desperately need it in the world. Hold steadfast. Are we all right? Paul makes reference to this gospel that is going out all over the world. That is the plan of God, the good news, would get to every life that needs it. It would spread to every life on the planet. That is what Paul makes reference to, this good news that's going out all over the world. Listen, that's why we're missional. That's what it's all about. We have the same understanding as Paul the Apostle. It's God's heart that the good news would get to every life on the planet. How, how can we ever stay seated? How how can we ever stay in one place? How can we ever not have a heart to take the gospel out? Can I be really honest this morning? (laughs) I haven't been yet, so I will be now. That's really good. I get get why there was a silence. I've said this to the Lord. Lord, I don't just want to take up space on the earth for the sake of it. I I want to live on mission. So keep me missional. Keep moving me forward because that's why I'm still here. Yeah, I know I've got kids and I've got a family to raise and I want to raise them to love Jesus and that's part of my mission. I get all that. But what I'm saying to God, my heart, and I'm trying to express to Him, is I don't just want to take up space and not do anything that counts for your kingdom. Lord, help us to be missional. Help us. If we're going to be here, let's make a difference in the world where God's placed us because His heart is that the good news would get out to every life that so desperately needs it. It's bearing fruit everywhere by the changing of lives. The good news still changes lives. Let's not believe anything other than the good news still changes lives. Let's not buy into the fact that nobody wants to hear our good news anymore, that it's old, boring, and tired. It's not. It still changes lives, and it will change lives till the day it's all over and Jesus comes again. That's not going to change. Maybe the medium in which we're sharing the gospel might need to change a little bit. Maybe there's some subtleties that need to change. But I'll tell you now, people respond to a passion. People respond to somebody that's got something to say and they live their life according to what they're telling them. And the good news is still good news for anyone who will hear it. Paul reminds us in this passage that we need to remember how the good news of God's grace has changed our lives. Church, if there's one thing to remember this morning or to wait on or to have a selah moment on or to contemplate is how it's changed your life. You're not a church attender. You're a son and a daughter of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed your life. Wait on that. Let the power of that sit with you again. Let it be fresh. Don't let it be 30, 40 years tired. Let it be fresh. It's still good news. And we've had a mix of good news over the years. And some of it hasn't been so good. It's been condemnation. And you're not good enough. And your behaviors are not okay. But the good news I know of is that Jesus went to the cross to cover all of that so that I could know the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God. No more judgment, no more condemnation, forgiveness, love, grace. That's the good news for people, that you don't have to be good enough because none of us are. 
That's all of our story. None of us are good enough. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus Christ secured. Would that be fresh in your heart as I was praying for this message today? One, I prayed, Lord, don't let me sweat. Well, he hasn't answered that prayer. And two, Lord, would you refresh and revive in our hearts the hope we have in what Jesus has done. That's the motivating factor for why we'll continue to bear fruit in other people's lives because we'll be led to live on mission. Those who have received eternal hope and true revelation have good news to share with others. You do. My prayer is that our mouths would be loosed, our faith would be set free to be bold, that we'd be willing to tell people about Jesus. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at me on that one. I've had moments and I've missed them. I've had moments of fear of man, I let it creep in and I let it rule the moment. Where I should have said something. I've had a moment with a family member where I know I should have said something, I had an opportunity and I thought, no, it's not the time and my flesh reasoned me out of it and my spirit went home grieving because I knew I'd missed the moment. I didn't go home guilty because I'm going to have another moment. I believe in God, but I went, I could have done something with it. Lord, just let the fear of man disappear. Your testimony of God's grace is powerful. I'm already way behind, so I need to keep rolling. Revelation 12, verse 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I'm just willing when I have a revelation. of That's talking about the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross, the victory that we have thanks to Jesus. That victory is already won. It's already done. And I'm believing that our testimony of the goodness of Jesus Christ still holds power to defeat the enemy in people's lives. And I will share it even to the point where I will give my life for Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's a challenge. See, our testimony is one of a savior, what he's done for us. We're rescued thanks to Jesus. They were willing to give their very lives to the one who had given his. I mean, he gave everything for us. Why would we not give everything for him? Church, we carry this incredible hope that we'll be a fruit wherever we're willing to share it. I promise you, if you're willing to share it, it'll be a fruit. We heard a testimony of a lady in our church that received a pathway book, and God has transformed her life. We're going to hear many, many, many more stories when we're willing to sow the good news into people's lives because the gospel truly changes lives. So I look around this room this morning, and I see all of the lives that it's already changed. I see your lives that have been transformed. It's incredible. We desire for many more lives to be changed. This is why when we found this pathway resource through our relationship with Edge Church, we got a thousand of them shipped from Australia to here because our heart was not just to speak about the mission because it's really easy to say why. It's not so easy to say how because people go, well, how do I do it? And we thought that through. We thought, well, if if it's going to require something to help you navigate relationship and help people to start a conversation. When we found Pathway, we went, here's a tool. Here's a seed that could be sown. Here's something we could give to our church to say, we're not only asking you to do it, we're trying to help facilitate a way that you can at least start a conversation. I know today people are far from God, but this will at least get them asking some questions. And, and when you give it, our, our heart was always that you would sow it for one and believe for one person's life to be touched by the good news. Now, that seed you sow may not bear in the first few weeks. It may not bear fruit in the first couple of months, but at some point, believe that when you sow a seed that God has an opportunity to speak into every life. It's 
why we believe in the pathway, but we love it. So transformation and change begin at the cross. I was meant to be here at about five minutes into my message just saying, by the way, I'm just being truthful. I planned a 20-minute message today knowing I'd be 30 and I'm in trouble already, but we'll see how we go. It begins at the cross, yet I'm so grateful that God does not just leave us stranded at the cross. He doesn't leave us just hurting and broken, struggling. In the journey, you just got to hang in there now till you die or till I return. It's not how God operates. He doesn't just leave us at the point that he finds us. I've said this many times. It's often that painful process of change. But on the other side of that process, that painful process, we find our breakthrough. As many of you know my own journey, you're probably sick of hearing it, but it's been one of a long, long process and still is of painful transformation. And it's happened in the context of church and community. A family that gives me unconditional love. I wish I had time to tell you what my upbringing was like in depth and in detail. Wish I could talk to you about having the choice between the hose, the fist, or something else to be disciplined with. I wish I could go into all the detail of the kind of childhood that I lived under. But when I came to church, I found a family who were willing to love me unconditionally and show me mercy and show me grace and walk a journey with me because it was a long process of painful transformation. God didn't just leave me on my own. He put me in community where there was flesh and blood, people who could love me, who would walk the journey with me. The power of community, but that's biblical pattern. That's God's plan. Put you into community. I would never have survived if I just raised my little hand and made a decision and went out and never came back. It would have been a cool moment. It would have stayed a moment. And it would have been long forgotten. But because I was in community with others who loved me, show me grace and mercy, pray with me, talk with me, allow me time to find true hope in Jesus Christ. Because when I gave my life to Jesus, I found a flicker of hope. It was just a flicker at the beginning. But as I walked into transformation, as I went through the process, I found true eternal hope in Christ. If you can give someone time, their lives can be radically changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? He's still at work today, changing and transforming lives. Listen, I was telling our group of our phenomenal young adults on Wednesday night that preaching and the platform ministry and worship and everything, in the end, is not what's actually going to get people to stay in church. I mean, I wish my preaching was that good, but it's not. Because the reality is, if you're technologically wired, you can find great preaching online. You find some of the world's best preachers on the internet. Find some great worship on the internet. But what you can't find on the internet is people who will walk with you and journey with you and love you and talk with you and lay hands on you and pray for you and make a difference in your life. That will never be replaced. Therefore, the church will never die. Doesn't matter what happens, we don't have to fear that because the tangible things that God has put in place that transform lives is community. Community preaching matters, please. We want to be great at preaching, we want to do our best. We want to have dynamic praise and worship that people would come in and go far out. There's an atmosphere here that I want to be a part of. But we want them to move from those moments into community together where they can walk out the stuff that's messed up their lives. That's the stuff that'll get people coming back to church. As much as I'd love to think it was my preaching. I was meant to get, no, you're, you're a great preacher. We, we come for your preaching. But the silence tells me I was right in the first instance. You can get great preaching anywhere. But come on, church is more than preaching. It's more than worship or music worship. It's about lives touching lives, connecting with each other, 
and journeying together. That's why we encourage church attendance and we, ch- we encourage life groups. And Paul Bennett's had the vision to build a cafe. Why? Why build a cafe? Because we want to have a building where we fill it up three times and send people out and bring people in and send them out. We build a cafe so people could stay. Why? Because we value community. Because it's really important that people could connect with people. Don't get me wrong. The rest of this we're going to work on, eh? We're going to keep working at it. We're going to keep making it dynamic. We're going to keep making it great. But my prayer is beyond this. Just wouldn't walk in, have a great worship moment, hear a little bit of preaching and walk out and that's it. Wouldn't touch any lives. Our heart is that everybody would be connected in the community. Are we great at it yet? No, we're doing our best. We're going to keep trying to facilitate community because we know how important it really is. We believe in it with all our hearts. You cannot replace community. In community, people can journey their pain knowing that people love them. In that respect, this church will never ever lose its relevance if our focus is on the right things. Church never becomes irrelevant. Never becomes irrelevant. If you were in church last week, you heard a message on consumer-driven church. So we're getting beyond that. We're moving past all of that. It's about people connecting with people and having their lives changed. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You cannot replace community. God has set it up. It's biblical pattern. You cannot survive out there on your own. You need others to walk life and journey faith with you. You cannot do it alone. It's how God established it. It's his biblical pattern. And so we need to live within the biblical pattern that God has given us. And we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's the mission. Are we there already? That's, come on, team. That's good. That's the mission of God. That's the mission of God. When we spur, spur one another on to love and good deeds, we're spurring one another on to live on mission, to touch other lives. And that comes in the gathering of community. It's our vision statement, knowing God, loving people, changing lives. Let spur one another on in love and action. In itself, the more I know God, the more I love people, and the results of it are changed lives. It goes on not to give up meeting together. That's so important because people get in the habit of this. In Hebrews, it's talking about persevering in faith. We believe that gathering is vital to growing a faith and a life that is continuing to be transformed. But listen, the word perseverance isn't just dropped in there for a nice word. Perseverance talks about resilience. The kind of faith that's going to shape the world and change people's lives is going to take perseverance. It's going to take sticking at it. Gathering in community, even when it's not going the way I want it, or the church isn't the style right now that I want, takes perseverance, takes commitment, takes an understanding. I need, I need other people. And I don't just need people the same as me. I need people different from me. Because I need challenged and equipped and changed and I need spurred on and not just the same, but different challenges. And community is a beautiful place to walk out your faith, but it takes perseverance. A number of years ago, we had a couple leave the church. They felt that they had heard it all. There was no new preaching. It's the same as it's always been. I can't learn anything else. We've heard it all from the platform. And it breaks my heart because when I see people leave for that reason, I go, oh no, they're in trouble. 
They're in danger. You're going to isolate yourself from community. Hear the same preaching. Listen, if we preach Matthew 28 every week, it's relevant. It matters because we quickly see the mission leak from our hearts within seven days. Vision lasts, I reckon, 14 days. It doesn't take long for us to get distracted by everything other than the mission that God's given us. So if we preach it every week, it's relevant. Have you heard it? Yes, you've heard it. Will you hear it again? Yes, you'll hear it again probably every week. But it's not a reason to leave church because it's to spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's not about hearing a message I've never heard before or something deeper than we've ever had before or the latest revelation or something new that kind of makes me excited. No, it's, it's more than that. It's about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So if all we do is speak on the mission of God, the love of God, and transforming lives, we're speaking according to the gospel that we will hold steadfast to and we will not stray from. When you come to church, your hope is renewed. When you isolate yourself, you lose your hope. You get distracted really quick. Everything else becomes more important. We need preaching and teaching because we need equipping and reminding of the mission, the vision of God. If we didn't need to remind you, we just wouldn't do it. But we need to do it. We need to have it week in, week out. Our hearts need reminded of the mission and the vision of God to reach this entire world. That's why life groups and church is so valued and highly recommended here. Fellowship is vital. Love, acceptance, forgiveness are the foundations of every genuine Christian relationship. It's our desire, I'm nearly there, it's our desire that every member of this church develop strong, supportive relationships to help them in their journey of faith and in the spurring one another on to love and good deeds. We need that love, we need that challenge that other people can bring us. We also need care. It's why we emphasize life groups. Yes, it's another day of the week, but we do it because people need community. They need others to walk with them. You know, it's amazing. Ange and I, I said this on Wednesday night too, we're just ordinary people, very ordinary people. And we were amazed when God tapped us on the shoulder, touched our hearts and said, we want you to lead Life Church. We, we were astounded by that call and amazed that God could even ask ordinary people like us to lead the church, but it was a wrong thinking and a wrong revelation. God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things with if they just respond to Him. Is there any other ordinary people out there? God loves to use your life because then God gets the glory. God gets lifted up. He gets glorified. Not the person, not the ordinary everyday person. Then God gets glorified. And we spend most of our time going far out. How did that work? Wow, God, you did it again. You're incredible what God you can do through ordinary lives that just surrender. And we remember a moment that marked the beginning of the change for us. We came at an altar call and we knelt at the front and we just said to God, we just give you our lives. We give it all to you. We recognize, Lord, that you gave it all for us. In fact, at that time, the call was who will give the next 10 years to this church to build together to reach lives and we felt God say it's you guys and we, we knelt down there weren't many of us up here just a few of us and we began to cry because we began to realize that God calls people to a people and a place that's biblical pattern that's what God does he calls you to a people and a place for a time and it was our time to be called to this people and this place and so we knelt the ordinary people give their lives to him and just say God I give it all God does amazing things when was the last time your heart responded like that 
The church on mission. God, we recognize you've given it all for us. God, we, we give it all to you. I just wonder if we can have a moment. We transform the front here into the altar. Say the altar's open. Maybe today's your day. Say to God, God, I, I want to give my life to you afresh. Because church, if we're serious about this stuff, we're saying, God, I want to see many more lives transformed through my life. Willing to come, stand, kneel, whatever it is. You don't have to be the front. You can find an altar in your heart. You can say, God, it's my heart's desire. Right where you are, if you want to. You can kneel where you are. You can stand where you are. You can say, God, I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. I'm willing to lay it.